Sometimes we back into a faculty meeting, so uh, for that end, I will be introducing our very distinguished speaker today, who is Mike Fleming. Uh, he is from the National Security Agency, as you see. He is the lead information assurance of the Information Assurance Solutions Group. And I emphasize lead because I asked him in the program, I don't know if you noticed, it said that he was the chief. And I said, are you the chief, Mike? <laughs> He didn't, he didn't like not that. The, not the so chief. We decided we'd take it for today, anyway. Um, he's a Purdue graduate. He earned an uh, undergraduate degree in EE here, electrical engineering, and he earned an MBA at Johns Hopkins thereafter. Um, he was here in 1968, and he has told me that the campus looked exactly the same, and so did he. <laughs> <laughs> he is a Lafayette native, so this is home to him. and. Most importantly, he is a huge boiler backer. Please welcome Mike. I'm going to use this or that. He wired me with this. Is this. Can you hear me all right with this? Is that all right? All right. Is this on? I'm not sure it is. I don't think so either. Let me try a switch. None? Okay. You hear me all right? I'll, I'll talk loud anyway. Um, first of all, let, let me uh, uh, say how happy and proud uh, I am to be here and to represent uh, uh, the National Security Agency at something so important as serious. Uh, this is a, an impressive endeavor. Uh, Dr. Vic McConaughey who's with me today. We spent uh, yesterday evening and all, all today uh, listening to the sessions uh, that uh, Gene Spafford put on and I was duly impressed with the enthusiasm. In fact, the second point I would make that on a Friday afternoon at 4.30, the fact that this room is filled uh, is, uh, is a real testament to how important uh, you feel that security is. And given that uh, I've been in the security uh, information assurance business for almost 30 years, the fact that uh, my alma mater is so dedicated to such a topic is really heartwarming. Uh, for a long time, I felt we were sort of sitting at the bottom of the well saying, security is important, security is important, and no one was really listening. And clearly, this crowd uh, is listening uh, and, and listening in a serious way. We're proud to be a Tier 1 sponsor for Sirius. Uh, while it's not on your website yet, uh, we're working on that. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, a real uh, plus uh, to have a, a federal agency there. And I would like to f uh, extend um, uh, Mike Jacobs' uh, uh, sincere regrets that he couldn't be there. For those who don't know, he, he's our boss. Uh, he underwent a, a bypass operation two weeks ago, and he was scheduled to be here. So uh, we're a fill-in for him, and it was really disappointed that he couldn't come out. But um, uh, he sends his best uh, to you and uh, and to the activity that you have you have here. Um, what I thought we'd do today is, uh, Andrew, you didn't take over my computer, did you? Uh, uh, something familiar about the colors, anyway. Um, Oh, all right. I, I, I see. I, I see what happened. Now uh, we're we're back to 1968, and uh, Professor Haight was the uh, head of the Double E department, and Bob Greasy was the quarterback. Uh, uh, Leroy Keys was uh, playing both ways in football. So uh, it's been a while, but I'm, I'm happy to be back. Uh, um, there, there are also some extra students here uh, this afternoon. Uh, some some of us in the uh, uh, the Fleming family were feared there wouldn't be anyone here, so we stacked the deck. Uh, when you see the pom-poms come up, uh, uh, they're my relatives, so the <laughs> and the hard questions will come from them, I'm sure. N NSA has two hats. Uh, we, we perform two vital missions for, for this country. Uh, one of them is signals intelligence. 
Uh, it's the one that gets all the popular press. If you've seen uh, some of the movies lately, uh, uh, no, we don't have cameras and lingerie shops as in the enemy of the state might depict it. But uh, we do have a foreign intelligence mission. Uh, it's called Signals Intelligence, SIGINT. Uh, uh, I won't talk about that today, even though uh, maybe a lot of questions are on your mind. Uh, even uh, if you bribe me with an uh, autographed football by Drew Brees, uh, I won't go there uh, for certain. However, we will talk about information assurance, which is the other mission. And uh, in today's uh, state of uh, widely interconnected uh, telecommunications and, uh, and computing, it, it, I think, is, is clearly the growth mission uh, in, this, in this country and certainly at the National Security Agency. And it's, it's the focus of your activities here, here as well. The Information Systems Security Organization of the National Security Agency, uh, ISSO for short, uh, is aimed at the following uh, mission, really to bring about the technology that can protect and defend uh, U.S. communications. While our focus is in the Department of Defense, uh, as you'll see in a minute, the national security impact of our critical infrastructures, I think, clearly in today's environment, goes well beyond the national defense uh, community. We also, in the last two years, have added a mission called Defensive Information Operations. Uh, a little insight into that as we go through the talk today. But it's a, a more of a, an operations focus, uh, takes, sort of picks up where, um, where intrusion detection leaves off. Professor Spafford. And, um, and, and really, those are the two elements that, uh, that we subdivided our information assurance mission into. Uh, protect and defend the network is, is, is the byword. A number of uh, interlocking and, and critical to this nation's operation infrastructure. If you look at the, the pictures here, you can begin to think uh, about what might happen if someone uh, took down the financial structure. And I'm not talking about individual uh, transactions, uh, your local uh, banking. I'm talking about the, the finance system or the energy system, or the transportation or telecommunications, and water, et cetera. In fact, if, if two of these, or either uh, the, or, excuse me, the telecommunications or the power grid goes down, I think we have a national security event. So national security today is more than uh, putting kinetic energy on, uh, on targets. It's in fact protecting our, our, our way of life through, through our interdependencies on these systems, which all are interdependent on networked communications, networked uh, computing. And so when you think about uh, supervisory control uh, systems such as SCADA systems, almost all of these are in fact vitally uh, connected to that infrastructure. And if one of those goes down, the, the nation could be in trouble. Uh, I think it's important to note that this particular administration uh, ha has taken on this, this activity in a serious way. Never before have we had a president of the United States talking about uh, information assurance, infrastructure protection, and, and we have that, in fact, with, with today's administration. Uh, for those who, who don't know, in, uh, earlier this year, a, a national plan was, was published. It's on the web. Uh, I didn't bring a URL, but uh, it's, it would be easy to find that talks about uh, three particular segments of, of protection. The Department of Defense plan, uh, a f fairly high level approach here, uh, or high level treatment, a federal sector plan, and then uh, if you see at the bottom of this, it says an invitation for dialogue among the government and the private sector in terms of how one might bring uh, synergy in protecting these critical infrastructures. So this administration is committed to this. Uh, I can also say that in the Department of Defense, and particularly, uh, uh, John Hamry, who was until uh, uh, March 31st the Deputy Secretary of Defense, uh, uh, really has the message and, and drove the Defense Department in, in a, a very 
positive, forceful way to, to bringing about uh, information assurance into its in, in communications. He, he had a unique position uh, prior to being the Deputy Secretary of Defense. He was, in fact, the uh, Comptroller and understood the power of paperless uh, activity, paperless uh, business. And so he brought together, uh, I think at the first time at a very senior level, the idea of security as an enabler for paperless contracting, paperless business conduct. And I think that's a powerful way to think about security. So uh, as you think about security today, rather than thinking about it as an add-on or, or something you have to do, I think we, to sell this on the outside uh, of, the, of the knowing community that we have here, have to think about security as an enabling function. Uh, and, and that's a slightly different twist, but I think it's probably the way to make a business case for, for doing good security. Um, in this plan, uh, there are a number of responsibilities laid out. In particular, in the, in the government, there is a, uh, a mirror for all of those critical infrastructures. So Department of Treasury is involved with uh, bringing awareness and, and, and activity in support of the financial community, Department of Transportation for transportation, uh, Department of Energy for the energy sector, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a one-to-one there's -one map. And in the private sector, the, uh, there was a, a request that certain uh, uh, information sharing and analysis centers be set up to mirror what the Federal Bureau of Investigation set up in, in their National Inf Information Protection Center. Uh, these ISACs, or Information Sharing Analysis Centers, have been slowly being established. One was established by the banking community. Uh, I, I believe uh, uh, Steve Katz, who many of you have participated, uh, been participants in your program here, uh, was a force behind that, and also one has been set up for the Telecommunications Committee uh, using a construct that had already been, been established, uh, an advisory board of the president. So there's some slow movement in the private sector to set up sharing, data sharing and analysis centers. And ho hopefully over time that, that will grow as more confidence uh, uh, is, is brought about between the two communities. Uh, and I think that's an important ingredient here. Trust among these communities is vital. Now, if you want to look at this problem in a, in a, a real brief technical sense, uh, I'll put a simplified diagram up here uh, uh, so, somewhat along the lines of one of the speakers this morning that uh, it's actually this afternoon, I think it was Clay, that talked about a simplified view of, of the world. He had host and routers. I've expanded the view slightly to at least give a sense for the need for protection in the telecommunications and transport world, the idea of some local environment where there's a policy barrier here, this is a security policy barrier that says, in theory, uh, the owner of this system can establish a security policy and uh, hopefully enforce it. Uh, beyond this barrier, um, people are sort of at the mercy of someone else. And so this creates an in the interesting tension that we have in this world of uh, network computing where I want to deal out here, but I don't really trust this space out here. And so I begin to think about uh, boundary conditions and, uh, and, and ultimately uh, for providing the right kind of protection. If you um, take that uh, and put it into the, uh, the negative space, if you like, the idea of a threat, uh, clearly the world has for a long time, uh, and this has the, been the bread and butter of our signals intelligence mission, uh, doing passive collection for, uh, uh, of these links. But uh, the advent of richly connected computing has, of course, uh, brought about the, the very active kind of attacks where, in fact, instead of passively tapping lines and wires, people are now actively penetrating networks and, and causing malicious, malicious harm. 
And of course, the more insidious threat, the one that's actually very hard to deal with and, and in some studies will say is as prevalent as any of the other three, uh, the other two, are the insiders. People with certain privileges that for a variety of reasons, whether they want to do harm because the company has done harm to them or, or for a variety of reasons, they have uh, sort of gone bad on the inside. And so there's a serious problem here that uh, can't, be, can't be ignored. Now, if, uh, if you want to take information assurance and parse it down into some sort of bite-sized, what I'll call security services. One, one might uh, talk about the idea of guaranteeing service or the, the bad thing, uh, countering denial of service. And so when we, uh, when we saw the eBay and the Yahoo attacks uh, back in February, these were clearly uh, denying, denial of service kinds of attacks that the, the positive statement security of service of availability would, would be uh, what one would use to counter that. When we talk about protecting data from malicious modification, the service uh, is, is integrity. And authentication, knowing who the parties are in a transaction, vital in terms of uh, many, 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 many functions, including uh, electronic commerce, uh, access control, uh, the idea of knowing who, uh, who the party in the transaction is, or who the entity is, whether it's a, as a human or a server, uh, or routers authenticating each other in the backbone. Uh, a very powerful security service. Confidentiality, and I listed it down the list because our, our classic approach to security has been cryptography for confidentiality. That's been sort of the nature of security since uh, essentially World War II up until uh, the mid-80s. And I put that down the list because while it's very important, it in some instances isn't as important as the ones above. And, and in fact, uh, I can think of a, of a banking, of a, of a contracting transaction where the government would want to enter into a contract, issue a request for proposal, and would want data integrity so that, uh, and authentication so that the recipients of the request for proposal knew they were really dealing with a government ordering officer and knew that the, the RFP, in fact, wasn't, uh, hasn't been modified. But confidentiality would not be applied because the government wouldn't want the widest uh, distribution. On the flip side, when the bids come in from the companies, the government would in insist on integrity and authentication so there would be legitimate bids coming in, and the bidder would want to protect the bid and so would apply confidentiality. So you can see a case where this is not always that important. And the final service, uh, sort of the tongue twister, proof of origin, proof of delivery, uh, did all the parties in the transaction say they participated, whether it's a go-to-war message from uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs to the troops, uh, I don't want the troops to say, I never got the message. In fact, this service would say, uh, yes, you did, or whether this is a contract and, and you don't want any party to be able to back out of a contract. So those are the, those are the basic security services that need to be applied in this complex uh, networked environment. To further parse down the, the problem, we've, we've looked at it in a, um, in a historic way of let's do the best we can to protect systems. Let's keep building bigger and bigger walls around networks, uh, bigger and bigger and stronger uh, barriers to, to penetration. Well, the reality is uh, the complexity of the networks, uh, the keynote speaker, I think, made a, a marvelous, uh, marvelous analogy this morning in terms of that complexity, says that you can't have perfect protection. And so the idea of being able to detect when you're under attack and then be able to take some re restoration activity is vital. So we have really a continuation or a spectrum of activities that's going to be essential in order to bring about information assurance. So you're not going to get these five security services unless you begin to think about a continuum of protect, detect, and restore, where the ultimate restore might be uh, a disconnect from, from the, the system, so I'm no longer uh, 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 capable of being attacked because I'm disconnected. Of course, now I've lost service, or come back and, and adjust the protection mechanisms. Now, in order to attack this problem in a, in a, uh, in a manageable way, it's, 
it's it's been pretty much universally, at least in the Defense Department and other, in other parts of government, broken down into three very important and, and I would say critical chunks that, that can't be dealt with by themselves. So security is an interdisciplinary activity. I know that's the theme of Sirius and I fundamentally uh, support that, of things I need to do with people in terms of security awareness, in terms of certifying uh, system administrators, in terms of, of, of their capabilities has to do with technology, and that'll be the focus of, of, of most of the talk this afternoon. And it also has to do with this 24 by 7 or online uh, detect, react, respond, uh, what we've called in, in the Defense Department, and I think what's, what's catching on outside, defensive information operations. The idea of being able to detect and respond on a real-time basis. And, and so it takes, in fact, all three of these working in concert in order to, uh, to bring about information assurance or to do protect, detect, restore. Uh, we need policy. Uh, the, the Department of Defense in particular is uh, today just awakening to the need for modernizing its policy. Its policy base in the past had been based on predominantly confidentiality brought about by encryption. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's uh, heartwarming to say that in the last six months, uh, DOD has moved forward and has in fact put together a, a policy that is much more comprehensive that in fact not only addresses protect, but detect and restore in, in the same document. So there's, there's much movement there in terms of uh, bringing about a, a framework that can really bring together the people, the technology, and the defensive information operations. Now, we talk about technology. Uh, about a year ago, I began to think about uh, how one could, could put, put their arms around the technologies that are relevant to information assurance. And maybe this construct is, uh, is flawed in a couple of respects, but I think it began to help us think about how we want to deal in a partnership with industry to bring the right technologies to, to the, uh, the protect and, and detect restore space. There's a set of technologies that are what I'll call security technologies per se. They have, their existence is solely because there's the need for security. I could put cryptography in here, I could put firewalls, intrusion detection. You wouldn't acquire one of those devices if you weren't thinking about security. There's another set of technology that's very important. Uh, and I'll just listed three of many, many examples. Uh, electronic mail or messaging, uh, web browsers, electronic commerce. These are, these are functions that people need to perform. And these, are, these are pieces of software, pieces of code that people need to buy. And they happen to have security as a, as a feature. But you didn't buy these products because of security. You bought them because you wanted to do email or web browsing. But as a matter of fact, you can take advantage of embedded security. By the way, I, I coined a couple of phrases here, commercial off the shelf and government off the shelf, to, to give a sense for where this technology flows from. And in this case, it's a lot of government development. Our agency builds encryption devices, and we have for, for the last 30 years. And so GOTS is here, government off the shelf. And there's an emerging uh, uh, set of vendors who are offering commercial off the shelf technologies. This is almost all COTS. No, the government's not in the email business or the web browsing business or, or, uh, or e-commerce, et cetera. So these technologies come almost all from the commercial space. And then there's the third and very large and quite insidious space in terms of technology. It's neither security per se nor security enabled, but is a source of vulnerability. This is where the attackers go. In fact, if, if I want to attack a system, I go here before I ever come over here and try to attack your, your, your stronghold. I'll look for the weak spots. And so, as a community, this is a space where we have a lot of work to do in order to bring countermeasures to this, uh, this space, and, and this, is, this is huge, and in fact, is the essence of, uh, 
of information technology. So we have a big problem in terms of bringing technology into the security world. Now to address this big problem, uh, we, we conceived of three different, uh, whoops, came up. What happened there? You didn't take over again. <laughs> no, no more Purdue jokes. A common security language. Um, one of the problems, uh, if we want to talk about user needs and vendor claims, can we talk the same language? Uh, can, can we describe the needs, the security needs, and the vendor can describe the claims in a language that allow comparison? So you know how well the claim is against the need. So that begs for a common security language. We also need a framework, uh, so something that talks about how things get hooked together, uh, what, what are common protocols, what are common interfaces, uh, how, one, how one might capture uh, security across a broad, complex networked environment. So a framework is important. And then, of course, you need the technology itself. And, and I will claim, and this is, this is uh, something we're pushing, the, the idea of knowing something about the security goodness of that technology, which comes about through evaluation. Uh, so someone needs to look at it. In fact, it needs to be a third party, not the vendor who, who's claiming, but you want a third party like a consumer reports that looks at the technology and makes some statement about its goodness. And finally, all these are pieces and they need to be put together. Uh, composition is important here. And so information assurance solutions are in fact more than a single product. They're a concatenation of, uh, or a composition of a set of products. I'll hit this slightly. So common language real quickly. Uh, some time ago, many of you might have been familiar with something called the Orange Book. At least that ring a bell with some of you. Uh, uh, okay, the, uh, uh, the Orange Book had a, uh, a time in the sun but uh, actually in, in the mid-90s it became very obvious that uh, it, its time had passed, predominantly because it was built around the monolithic computing environment and not the network computing environment in, for, the, for the most part. And so another language ha has arisen. Uh, it is now an international standard, ISO standard 15408, uh, that in fact provides a, a way of describing security functionality, uh, encryption, access control, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, a somewhat subtle but very important ingredient called how confident am I that the functionality has been implemented correctly or what are the confidence building measures that have taken place that, that would give one confidence that the functionality is actually working properly. Um, and this comes about through testing, comes about through configuration management, comes about through design and development processes, uh, capability maturity model kind of software development, et cetera, et cetera. With, with, a, with a dictionary, which is what the common criteria is, one can then write two books. One can describe the needs in terms of security in, in, a, in a book called a protection profile. Don't, don't ask me to defend the choice of that particular name, but that's, that's the name that the, the fathers of the common criteria uh, used to describe sort of the, the, the entity who needs security. Uh, it allows a description of the functional and the assurance requirements. There's another book that can be written, and it's sort of the, the vendor's claim, or the I will provide. And so I have now the ability to generate a need statement and a claim in the same language, which allows me then to make a, a comparison between the need and the claim to see if I have the adequate uh, security there. It, it was very important to the, to the vendors uh, of, of the information technology space I described earlier to be able to have evaluations conducted once. It's too expensive. This is generating assurance, uh, which, which usually means documentation and, and, and configuration management, is an expensive proposition. Uh, and so the companies uh, said, we will only want to do this once, and so we cannot have 
multiple evaluation schemes in multiple countries where if I want to sell in Europe, I have to be evaluated in, in two or three countries, and I want to sell in the U.S., I have to be evaluated there, and if I want to sell in Canada, I have to be evaluated there. And so the idea of a mutual recognition arrangement wherein the language is common across, at least th at this point, uh, the U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany, France, Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, and the ability to recognize the evaluations across those countries. And so if a product is evaluated in the U.S., it, can, it, it will be listed on the, the evaluated products list of the other countries. It doesn't say you have to buy a U.S. product. Or it doesn't say U.S. has to buy any one of the uh, other products. But it does say that the evaluation will be considered valid. And, and I think that's an important, uh, important point for the vendor. So without that, the vendors really aren't, aren't going to be interested in participating in this program. So this, this is the common language. The second point in, in, the, in the process is a framework. Uh, so we'll go back to the, uh, the oversimplified picture of the network environment. And, and what we need is a, a protect and defend capability in the backbone, predominantly I would say to uh, provide availability or to counter denial of service attacks. We need something that can protect and defend at the boundaries. This is where firewalls and intrusion detection can take place. We need something that can work on the inside, uh, host-based intrusion detection. Uh, host-based firewalls, personal firewalls, which, which uh, are on the market today. Uh, authentication between clients and servers so that uh, only the chairman of the Joint Chiefs maybe be able to go in and, and, uh, and, uh, and place a, a go-to-war order in, in the, uh, the, the go-to-war message server, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, the idea of being able to manage all of this security with a common cryptographic and uh, slash public key infrastructure. In fact, as soon as you introduce one of these elements, you buy in to the need for some sort of security management infrastructure because it's vital. And so while, again, this is oversimplified, this begins to describe some sort of defense in-depth capability. Uh, it, it says you can't rely on any one point in the network for security. In fact, good security is going to require uh, a series of defense in-depth or concatenated or layered uh, countermeasures. And so we need technology in all these spaces. And in some cases, the technology is going to be stronger or weaker, and they're going to have to be put together in a way of compensating, because you can't find perfect security almost anywhere. And so all of this is, in fact, uh, a compensated risk management environment. What, what we've done, then, is combine two thoughts. We've taken the, the defense in depth, and these are those same, uh, those same defense in depth themes across the top here, and the common criteria syntax or language and begin to write a series of protection profiles that are aimed at providing statements of need for the government and, and in some cases, uh, leveraging uh, uh, communities beyond the government for, uh, because I think it's very important that uh, from a vendor perspective, we find the right business case, the right return on investment. And quite frankly, in many cases, the Defense Department's market is not big enough to garner the investment of, of, of industry. However, the Defense Department, the banking community, the energy community, the transportation community would create a large enough market. So the idea of a, a, uh, a synergy or a uh, combination of market is what we want. And so the I, we are generating these profiles. Uh, we have conducted a number of, I would say we're in the order of about 10 uh, forums on every eight-week basis uh, in, uh, in Maryland near, uh, near the baltimore Washington International Airport. Um, uh, and I would invite you to, uh, to go to the website there. The uh, URL is listed here. It's a password access. Uh, uh, it, it will, uh, it's, it's right now limited to uh, U.S. citizens, uh, and it so far has been limited to industry, 
but uh, I, I think it would be useful, Gene, to expand this, particularly in your community here, to uh, allow comment on these protection profiles. I'll also highlight the smart card one because I, I put this up because the smart card users forum, actually uh, sponsored by the National Institute of Standard and Technology, has brought into play MasterCard, Visa, EuroCard, JBC, uh, uh, and, and a couple others, and they are generating a protection profile for smart cards. <coughs> Paget? That's the old URL. The new one is iatf.org. Uh, yeah, you can get there here, and uh, it'll link you there. Now, we, we changed the, uh, Paget brings up a good point, we changed the title of the forum from the network security framework to the information assurance framework. However, I think, I think you can get there this way or through the IA, IATF. So this is an important area. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced we're going to be able to write enough protection profiles fast enough uh, to keep pace with technology. So I'm not saying this is a panacea, but it is a way when we can to begin to write statements of need. And uh, this, this is a lot of work. This is not, uh, not trivial activity. Oops. Third piece, evaluations. Um, uh, in the past, we tried to do that work at, at NSA, but quite frankly, the technology pace and, and the breadth is, is outstripping a, a fixed resource. And so in the 1997 timeframe, we formed a partnership with the National Institutes of Standard and Technology um, called the National Information Assurance Partnership, and I'll apologize for not spelling that out, uh, NIAP. And that is a, a joint body that in fact worked with the common criteria and generated a evaluation scheme in accordance with the common criteria and established then a set of US laboratories that are capable, uh, are credited to conduct security evaluations in the common criteria context. So there's two parts to this. There's a government part which accredits labs, oversees the evaluations, does certain reviews to, to maintain quality and, and uh, because we want, you know, we're, again, we're in an international agreement now and, and an arrangement and we want to make sure the quality is, uh, is, is sort of up to snuff across the community, allows then the labs to conduct evaluations on a contractual basis with vendors. So uh, the, the price here is at the vendor. The vendor generates a product, makes a security claim, writes a security target, submits that to the lab, forms a contract with the lab. The government's not a part of that contract. Uh, and and, in, and uh, the evaluation is conducted. It's possible that there will have been a protection profile or a need statement generated for that product or that system. And if so, the lab is also capable then of comparing whether the claim meets the need. Uh, output then is a validation certificate. Yes, this product meets its claim. Uh, it can be a validated products list, which is a list of products that have been, been evaluated, and a validation report is published. And it's, again, all under the mutual recognition context. If the product meets a government protection profile, then we will post another list, uh, be a subset of this list, and these are the subset of these products that have met, uh, in fact, protection profiles. Uh, four or five firewalls have, have gone through this process. Uh, there's, a, there's probably another dozen products uh, in the evaluation uh, scheme. And again, here's a website that can give you a lot more insight into, into that. Uh, the, the last piece uh, ha has to do with composition. 
it's, it's clearly a, a very difficult problem. I can, I can rack and stack evaluated products. I never will have in my security suite all evaluated products. I'll have lots of unevaluated products. If you recall on that, that bubble chart about the three, the three spaces for technology, there'll be a whole bunch of things that I'll never be able to evaluate. And so the real question is, I've got all this stuff. Some of it I know something about through an evaluation process, something I don't, some I don't know something about. Am I able to compose a solution out of that? And the answer is yes. And what it may involve is another evaluation or another look at, at the composed solution. And even that's insufficient because this is complex, this is hard, and save for a community like this and, and a few others around the world, there aren't too many who really understand this technology. And so in addition to product, we as a, as a supplier of, of information assurance need to generate what I'll call services. We need to take along with the product a set of requirements, definition, policy generation. We need to have a discipline called system security engineering so an individual can look at a situation, look at an environment, a real computing environment, uh, a real policy and say now what can I do to bring better security posture to this? Uh, it's an art not a science and so we're, we're, we're growing as we begin to uh, involve ourselves with a whole series of real-world applications out here. Uh, risk analysis is a part of this. There's certainly no perfect security solution, so every accreditation in a system context out here uh, it will be a risk decision. Uh, how, how are those risk decisions made? Uh, what criteria do one, does one use? When, when do I have enough data to say good enough to go? Uh, what happens uh, the day after I make the accreditation and some $39, piece of do $39 uh, piece of software gets put in the system that changes the profile, the security profile? So uh, hard, hard work here. Uh, again, right, ripe for uh, critical thinking and, uh, and, and creative minds. A system security analysis. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, it's good to have a, a product evaluated, but what about the system? Uh, integration and test. And, and I, I've left off things like configuration. In fact, maybe one of the more important ingredients uh, in any of these products is configure them correctly and sustain that configuration. Uh, many, many cases we've been involved with uh, a firewall accreditation and, and the product uh, is installed and accredited and then three weeks later you get a call and, and, and it says, someone uh, says, you know, this firewall isn't working the right way and I said, well, send, send the config file. It looks entirely different than when we left it. Well, it worked faster and so we kept tweaking it. Well, yeah, but it's not uh, it's Swiss cheese now. And so the idea of configuration, configuration guides, very critical. All hard work, takes lots of people, uh, lots of talent, and, and uh, quite frankly, the, the, the world isn't ready yet, I think, in terms of all the talent we need to bring about a, uh, a, good, a good security posture. So uh, it's vital that, that we have an endeavor like Sirius that's growing people, uh, creating awareness. Uh, the fact that you have a, a K-12 uh, program is an immense. There's at least one K-12 teacher in the room. I know exactly who she is. And, and uh, it's marvelous that, that we're beginning to grow this awareness at the, at the lower levels all the way up. So I guess my, my bottom line before uh, Vic comes up is uh, we at the agency are dedicated and, and committed to a partnership across the total spectrum of activity that's, uh, that's necessary here. Obviously, I've talked a lot about the, uh, the vendor partnerships we have, uh, we're, we're engaged with uh, all of the users and have tried to depict here sort of the critical infrastructure with maybe a slight slant toward defense, but, but not exclusively. And, uh, and of course, the international activity. And of course, note here I found another icon. Uh, Spaff, you missed the hat. I wore a hat earlier, a uh, Purdue hat. Uh, you missed that. So um, you even got the colors right here, I hope. So 
Um, I'll stop here. Uh, we can take a couple questions, or do you want to hold them to the end? I don't know how you want to do this, because Vic, Vic McConaughey wants to talk a little bit about the, uh, the education outreach part of our, our activity. So, I'll, okay, let's give Vic his chance. Thank you very much. study. 
and, and briefly what these figures say is that, and notice there's no IA called out in here, it's subset in here. This is the demand across the United States from a 1996 to a 2006 projection, the numbers, and then you can see the deficits. And what they did was they took into account the number of jobs they anticipate being created, as well as the aging workforce leaving. Those are big numbers. They're so big that even if it's statistically flawed, in other words, if, for instance, if there's a category there that perhaps would not be considered an IT or one that they skip, it's significant. And going on, that's what that equates to in terms of a growth rate. The number of core IT workers, just uh, not IA, but IT workers is projected to grow from 1.5 million in 1996, which was their baseline year, to 2.6 million. That's a lot of workers that the United States needs. So our ability to protect the national information infrastructure is now impeded. It's impeded by our capacity to produce the numbers. Hence, the government's swinging in to advocacy, promotion, partnering with academia. That's what those deficits come out to. And with those deficits comes an increased awareness that when we build these programs, we need to incorporate a lot of different kinds of what I call thinking sets. And taken collectively, I think that the new information assurance warriors, whether they're in government or industry, are going to look a lot different than the ones we have today. They're going to be multidisciplinary thinkers who bring to bear, yes, some of the very traditional kinds of things that we do in information assurance, like cryptography and formal methods and software engineering, but also bringing into bear other dimensions such as Bible, which perhaps they don't take a look at right now to the depths that they should. And, and another area that's emerging is how to make a business case so we can put in place and get the resources that we need. We're not going to do this alone. It's not going to be simply a government and to academia kind of relationship. I, I look at it this way. If industry has one perspective on the IA problem and one perspective on the solution set, so does government. And it may not be the same. And you blend into that mix on the triad the academia, perhaps more ethereal in their solution sets, but together, collectively, if we drew that, drew that collective knowledge outward, we would have an impact on the entire American workforce. That's where the solution that's going to have to eventually evolve to enrich. That's the enormity of the problem that we're facing today. And so people say, okay, Vic, what is a good role for government in this area? Well, first of all, we're a provider of services. The dates passed of having people here use the electronic filing for the IRS. We provided that service. We, uh, we influence the, the creation of architectures. One needs only look at the purchasing power of the, of the commercial off-the-shelf environment that Mike mentioned. 
to, yeah, we have influence there. But more importantly, I think that the national plan that Mike has mentioned and I, and I alluded to calls that government needs to stand up, government needs to set an example. We need to turn to all areas to get solution sets to solve that. Thus, it's only natural that we provide leadership through partnerships, like we've just discussed. Partnerships that in the, in the first round included only seven universities across America. And as of Monday, I can now announce that there are seven more in our numbers. All right? To include two defense universities, which have joined the ranks. That's a small number when you look across the vast fabric. And yes, yes, there's there's some some breadth between the operational capabilities, but they all have and have met certain criteria that put them into a category that says, yes, there are centers of studies there. But just think of that. In all the universities in America, we only have 14 that we've identified today. And so just in quick closure, that's what um, our National Pacific Education Training Program is about. I think it's a bold endeavor, a, a kind of new move, a kind of new outreach for the agency to look at. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, even more partnering with tremendous centers like, like SPAP. So that's sort of the, the, the capstone or the, the human element to all the kinds of things that Mark talked about in terms of the policy and the technical dimensions and those challenges. And again, on behalf of uh, the NSA, it's been a privilege to uh, come back here dialogue with you all. And that's just the beginning. So thank you very much. We have time for some questions for either of our speakers. If any of you have some questions or comments. Or are you all pretty well talked out?
So thank you again, and thank you again to our speakers. We really appreciate it.